Hello and welcome back to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. All right, let's do another deep dive today, a solo episode on a topic that is very dear and close to my heart and one that I've dedicated my complete career to, and that is conservation travel. Yes, if you weren't aware, not only am I the creator and executive producer of this show, but I'm also the director of conservation for The Wild Source, which is a mission-based safari company based out of Golden, Colorado. I can obviously talk about this subject until I'm blue in the face. There's little other topics that I know more about, but that would be utterly boring for you. So in today's episode, I'm going to synthesize my years of experience in conservation tourism how I discovered the field, and what the scientific literature says that both supported the use of tourism as a conservation tool and some areas that the field can improve. Also, just for clarification, you'll hear me use conservation travel and conservation tourism pretty interchangeably. The main difference between the terms is conservation tourism refers more to the business side, the commercial side of conservation travel, but on an individual level, and for today's purposes, we're going to refer to them pretty interchangeably. So first, I think it just makes sense, let's define it. What is conservation tourism? So Ralph Buckley, in his aptly named book, Conservation Tourism, defines the field as, quote, tourism which operates as a conservation tool, or, quote, more precisely, commercial tourism, which makes an ecologically significant net positive contribution to the effective conservation of biological diversity, end quote. In other words, conservation tourism, when done properly, is a tool in the conservationist toolkit for bettering the planet. Why? Because it is a monetary solution to conserving natural spaces. And I have found no other tool that directly monetizes nature. Yes, we in conservation wish our natural lands could be an inherent value in today's society. But as we've seen in almost every part of the globe, this just isn't reality. So conservation travel trips usually include a mix of these key elements. Visiting a wild place with the intent of experiencing nature. Some sort of conservation element. For example, visiting a local project or special guides that are also biologists. Human element. To me, this is the biggest difference between wildlife tourism and conservation tourism, because conservation tourism goes a step beyond just seeing wildlife and engages local community in some fashion. Next, there isn't direct interactions with wildlife, AKA think of your petting zoos, think of anything where you have a chance of touching a wild animal. And lastly, and this is key, it is designed to have the least amount of impact on the environment as possible, which can mean different things in different places. Also, conservation tourism is often transformative. It's almost impossible to return to your home country the same person after experiencing a moving conservation trip. When done properly by an operator, even if a traveler hasn't bought into living a greener lifestyle, just by them spending their money on that trip and hiring that particular operator, they'll leave the destination a better place than before they arrived. For example, when I worked at Natural Habitat Adventures, one of the biggest trips were polar bears. And there were so many people that the only thing they wanted to do is go see the polar bears. They really didn't care about any other part of that. 
But since the trip was so strong and partnered with so many people, that is one of the only opportunities that are there is tourism. And the polar bear season is the biggest season in the area. So it's totally fine if maybe a traveler didn't decide that when they got home that they wanted to recycle more or wanted to decrease their emissions. Just the fact that they were there to see polar bears helped keep those polar bears there and the community there that was living with those bears. So how is conservation travel different from ecotourism or nature-based tourism? So you've probably heard all of these terms and they might seem pretty interchangeable, but there are some pretty big differences that I want to review here. So first, let's define nature-based tourism. So Peter S. Valentine, in, or Valentine, I don't know, one of those, in his review conveniently called Nature-Based Tourism, describes the field as, quote, nature-based tourism is primarily concerned with the direct enjoyment of some relatively undisturbed phenomenon of nature, end quote. Which this is a pretty overarching definition. Next is ecotourism, which the International Ecotourism Society defines as, quote, responsible travel to natural areas that conserves the environment, sustains the well-being of local people, and involves interpretation and education, end quote. I'm a visual person, so let's picture a diagram with nature-based tourism at the top, then ecotourism as a subcategory, and then within ecotourism is conservation travel. So conservation travel is ecotourism, but not all ecotourism is conservation travel. For example, let's say you're booking a surfing trip to Costa Rica. You're there to enjoy nature, aka the sea, and you book an eco-lodge for the duration of your stay. This, to me, falls under the umbrella of ecotourism, not conservation tourism, because you're not there to experience some sort of wildlife phenomenon and engage in a conservation project or hire a local guy that is a biologist, like all of these other factors. There's nothing wrong with this style of trip. It is very important, especially for those coastal ecosystems, those coastal towns, but this is a very different style of travel. Next is probably a question that you might Google online or may have considered yourself, and that is... Is conservation travel good for the planet? I'm obviously super biased, but with good reason to say that yes, conservation travel is good for the planet. It's easy for me to talk to you about conservation travel in like a philosophical, moral sense, but what does the scientific community say about the field? Oh yes, let's get into the literature. So first, let's return to Ralph Buckley's book, Conservation Tourism, and he explains the significance of the field for conservation so well. So he says, quote, biodiversity is important not only in its own right, but as a key foundation and fundamental underpinning of human economic activity and indeed survival, the biological basis of human civilizations. Biodiversity is under threat globally, with the global economic cost of biodiversity losses estimated at U.S. $1.35 to $3.1 trillion annually. And by the way, that was from 2010, so it's probably significantly more now. Continuing, global conservation efforts to date have had inadequate funding and political support and consequently limited success. He continues, in a different but overlapping set of areas, income from commercial private sector tourism enterprises can provide another and sometimes more targeted incentive. 
This success depends, however, on natural attractions for tourism and on the broad-scale operational patterns of the global tourism industry. Conservation tourism aims explicitly to take advantage of this approach, and this is why it is significant. Additionally, I found this amazing review called Ecotourism for Conservation, with the first author being Amanda L. Stranza, published very recently in 2019, which looked at 30 years of ecotourism research and synthesized it all in this paper. These were the top benefits that Stranza found. One, support for wildlife and protected areas. The study Stranza reviewed found that ecotourism, quote, shows evidence of increased capacity for conservation within protected areas and increased support from conserving among local population, provides conservation benefit that outweighed its impacts by increasing survivorship of highly threatened species and helps protect nature on a landscape scale. For example, in Costa Rica, ecotourism, quote, contributes not only to reduction in land degradation, but also to net reforestation in several independent cases, end quote. Two, diversified livelihoods. This one is pretty straightforward to understand. Essentially, those that live near protected areas and work in ecotourism benefit tremendously. This is because short of a global pandemic, we're just gonna brush that under the rug real fast, Tourism jobs are more sustainable than extractive industries like mining, logging, and farming. Also, the more something means to you, the more you'll care about it. Many local communities that benefit the most from ecotourism become fierce defenders of their natural resources. Three, environmental interpretation and ethics. This benefit hits on the transformation people usually experience when they participate in conservation travel. Scientists have shown that proper messaging and knowledgeable guiding can and does influence tourists to change their behavior for the better of the planet. And I've seen this personally a lot in my career. So when I worked at Natural Habitat Adventures, they were the exclusive travel partner of, of WWF, the World Wildlife Fund. And the amount of money that travelers donated to WWF after they returned from the trip was significant. It was in the millions upon millions of dollars. And they didn't do that before they went, they did that after they went because they were so moved. And similarly, in my current role, we have the Wild Source Foundation. And I can't tell you how many times that when people come back from an unbelievable safari, like they absolutely love their guides, they were so moved, they then feel passionate enough to donate their hard-earned money or save money or whatever it is to the foundation to, to keep our mission moving forward. It is so amazing to see. And four, strengthen resource management institutions. I thought this one was interesting, more of an indirect and but super powerful aspect of tourism. Quote, ecotourism with its emphasis on engagement with local communities and participatory approaches to development can provide the incentives and social capital to strengthen institutions. The quality and stability of local institutions influence how people in local communities are able to monitor wildlife and other resources, establish rules for use and conservation, and sanction rule breakers. Community-based ecotourism operations that help strengthen local institutions have had clearer success in conservation. Conversely, ecotourism operations with little attention to local governance have had less success in conservation, end quote. 
Furthermore, to quote Dr. Andrew Huberman on his podcast, he loves to say anecdata. I also love that term and, and I want to use that as well. So in several destinations that I've been to, I've had to be, I've had to remind myself to accept the seemingly excessive amounts of help that I was offered everywhere I went. Why? Because hospitality was the only opportunity many of the employees had. And if I refused their help, then I was potentially jeopardizing their livelihood. And so I let people carry my small bags. I am super against checked bags because I do not want to lose my bag. <laughs> so I have such little stuff when I travel. But again, I was more than happy to let people carry my little bags, bring me coffee, bring me wine, whatever it was so that I can make sure that they stay employed. I'm more than capable of doing these things on my own. And even sometimes it would make me feel slightly uncomfortable to be so well taken care of. But I know it's better for the community living beside the wildlife that I'm there to visit. So continuing on, what are the common arguments I hear against conservation travel or nature tourism in general? Probably the most common arguments I hear from a loud, small group online is that travel emits carbon, thereby contributing to climate change, which will subsequently kill the planet. While I always applaud people that are willing to stand up for something they believe in, this particular viewpoint is so naive that it almost pisses me off, and here's why. If travelers weren't visiting these often remote, hard to get to destinations to see a certain species or landscape, I 100, 110% guarantee you that they would be gone. You wanna talk about climate change? How about the search and poaching from lack of opportunity? Cutting down trees to expand cattle and agricultural operations. Anything that you can think of that would then release more CO2 in the air. Ugh, sorry I got a little heated there, but as you can tell, I'm insanely passionate about this, having seen it with my own eyes. I can promise you that some of our most beloved natural landscapes would not exist if they weren't protected and monetized through tourism. The Serengeti, Yellowstone, Pantanal. If tourists weren't coming to these places, they would have been destroyed generations ago. Don't worry, I'm not blind to conservation travel's downsides, and we'll discuss those too. There are a lot of forms of tourism that can cause degradation. I see it all the time when I'm in the mountains on a hike. The amount of garbage, dog crap, and people off trail I see just it makes me sick. However, this is not conservation tourism and thus cannot be used as an argument against the field. Take this same scenario at a professional guide and conservation-minded travelers. First, the group would be small. No one would be littering. They'd probably be even picking up trash and they certainly would not be stepping anywhere that would degrade the land. Which brings me to my next argument, interfering with natural animal behaviors. How many times do we hear about people being mauled by an animal because they were doing something stupid? Not too long ago, a woman was mauled by a bull elk that was here in a rut just right up the road in Colorado. If this lady would have known the pillars of conservation travel, she would have never put herself or the elk in danger. To continue on this train of thought, another thing I found really interesting is ecotourism's overall negative view in several biologists' paper. As explained by Stronza in the Ecotourism Conservation Review, which I just went over, let me read this excerpt from her paper. Quote, Recently, scholars in ecology and conservation biology have begun to take harder aim at ecotourism, 
arguing it is not only not helpful to conservation, but in fact may be harmful to wildlife. Much of the work is conducted by biologists, basing their perspectives on theories related to risks of predation or physiological measures related to stress. Authors contributing to the recent literature state ecotourism habituates animals to human presence, increases the likelihood of being preyed upon by both other animals and humans, and decreases a population's overall fitness for survival. She continues, a counter-argument questions the plausibility of habituation transferred to a suite of wild predator species and suggests instead that an ecotourism shield can serve to protect entire wildlife populations over vast areas with human-wildlife interactions occurring in few small locations, end quote. As Weaver and Lalta noted, quote, despite the essential nature of this research to the management of the ecotourism experience, almost none of the empirical studies have been undertaken by tourism specialists or found in specialized tourism journals. Rather, just one scientific journal, Biological Conservation, appears to account for most of them. Although there is evidence of the biologists' findings being overreported, the recent critiques have tended to conflate ecotourism with other kinds of tourism. For example, the more conventional ideas of what people do in parks and visitor centers, hiking trails and campgrounds, misunderstanding or misstating how and why ecotourism is or ever was heralded or established in later decades as a tool for conservation. Thanks, Amanda Stronza. I literally could have not said it better myself. But again, I am not ignorant to conservation travel's shortcomings, which I will go over those right now. So as much as I wish it was, conservation travel isn't a panacea. First, not every natural area can be a tourist destination. Some areas lack the resources or infrastructure to safely host tourists. Or maybe the area isn't interesting enough to attract enough tourists for it to be profitable. In these situations, other means of conservation have to be employed. In some parts of the world, there is still a colonial vibe, which always makes me uncomfortable, and I notice it right away. I obviously haven't been everywhere, but examples of this that come to mind are mostly at African safari camps, because I've been to several of those. For some reason, some companies, I'll leave them unnamed, still think it's necessary to bring in a white couple from Europe, South Africa, or somewhere else to manage the camps. But peel back the curtain and you almost, almost see the second in command is a person from the surrounding community that can speak the local dialect and is the one actually running the show, but they're not presented or hired as the lead camp manager. I will say that there seems to be a movement to correct this, but it's going to unfortunately take a lot of time before these companies will only hire local peoples. To do so will require a lot of capacity strengthening, time, and investment in people, which is costly in more ways than one, but it's the right thing to do. Next, and you see this a lot in different industries, but competition between companies can influence some business leaders to make iffy decisions. Cutting corners can have significant impacts on, on natural areas, and conservation travel is no exception to this. And lastly, sometimes conservation travel just can't give travelers the experience they're looking for. Conservation tourism tends to be on the more adventurous side, and I could tell you stories till I'm blue in the face. 
and some travelers can't quite handle the roughness. I've been in uncomfortable situations and I've also had clients complain for really no reason about certain aspects of their trip that didn't meet their expectations. Considering where a lot of this type of tourism happens, it's just hard to create white glove service sometimes. So next, where is conservation tourism heading? As competition in the sector continues and as consumers become more and more educated on conservation tourism, I foresee more and more companies adopting conservation practices. This includes hiring and training guides to be to hop in the industry, hiring and training local people to work the camps and lodges and stop bringing in foreign people, involving local communities in as many steps in tourism development as possible, empowering groups and increasing capacity in peoples to monetize and protect their own land and wildlife and partnering with NGOs and other conservation organizations with the common goal of protecting nature and wildlife. I would feel remiss if I did not share how I discovered conservation travel. If you've heard any of my previous episodes, I've had quite a winding career. And when I found this field, I knew I had found my pillar, my why, my, my going forward to stand on. So it took a while to find it, but I, but as a little history, I grew up in Royal Appalachia without much exposure to the world outside of my small town bubble. I'd watch BBC and the Discovery Channel, documentaries from all around the world and daydream about visiting these places one day. But this was so far from my reality that I pursued well-known career paths after high school. Like first it was vet school, then it was the zoo. But luckily I knew that neither of those career fields were for me. And then I found my master's program that actually took us to the field to show us conservation in person. Through my many studies and my many papers and everything that I did, I discovered the power of conservation travel for helping mitigate conflict with my favorite group of animals, big cats. It is much easier to live with deadly wildlife when it is bringing you a consistent stream of income that you can then support your family on. So I'm not sure what you do, but maybe there's a way to weave conservation tourism into your work to create more impact. This won't be possible everywhere with every species or every natural area, but I can almost guarantee you that there is an operator that would be willing to partner with you. And of course, if you want to brainstorm this at all, just reach out. Let me know. I'm super easy to get a hold of. So since I've been in the field for a while, what are some tips for becoming a conservation traveler? So first, do your research. I highly recommend researching a location for a long time before you book a trip to make sure that this is a destination that one, you want to visit it and that two, that you can have a net positive impact when you go. Continuing down the research topic, hire reputable operators. This is probably the most important part. Greenwashing is real, especially in tourism. And look for red flags. Do you see any photos of guests interacting with wildlife? What do the reviews say? Yes, I hate Yelp and all those other things. But when it comes to this, I definitely read all of the reviews. And this is really important. Take a deep dive through the website. Is there a conservation mission anywhere on their website? Do they have some sort of statement and also evidence to back it up that they are reaching that goal of their conservation mission? Well, I have several resources listed in the show notes for this episode. 
if you want to check out some example of commercial tourism operators doing it the right way right away to give you some examples that maybe if you're going to another part of the world to base off of, check out my workplace, The Wild Source, and also Reefs the Rockies. So Sheridan Salmono, who started this company, has been on the podcast. She's amazing. And she put together my Costa Rica trip. <laughs> So I know her company inside and out, and they even state right there that they make a donation to conservation on your behalf. So that is weaved in. It's like a non-negotiable. If you book with her, then a part of your trip is immediately donated to conservation. And then, of course, your trip itself then also supports conservation. So she is based mostly in Central, like Central and South America for if you're interested in those parts of the world. Next, consider every detail of your trip. How can you reduce your impact? So first think about packing. What's already in your closet? I know I deal with this too, where I want to go shopping. I want to go on Patagonia. I want to go to my local secondhand store and get this, that, or the other because my thing is looking a little worn out. My pack is a little like it's kind of tearing right there, you know, little things like that. But let's be real. All of our closets are bursting full with stuff. We're adventurous people. I can almost guarantee you that you have plenty already in your closet to pack to go on one of these trips. And on that, continuing a little further, minimize the amount of shit you bring with you. Not only will this help your stress level, but it will also be less emissions and minimal chance of losing your bag. See, I've brought this up multiple times. There's nothing worse than losing your bag when you get on one of these adventurous trips. Moving on, can you volunteer or visit a project? Is there something really special, a great NGO or or anything that will let you come visit them and volunteer for the day? Maybe you can help put together a school or paint or help a biologist in the field something. There might be something that you can just sign up for, which would be one, an amazing experience for you, and then two, really great help for whatever the project is that you happen to go visit. Next, immerse yourself in the local culture. <laughs> People are just as important in conservation as the natural area you want to visit. I've said it so many times. Every time I go on one of these trips, I'm there for the wildlife. I always have amazing encounters and I've told multiple stories before and I like to post about them too on like Instagram and other places. But it's the people that just move me that I completely fall in love with every single time I go on one of these trips. I WhatsApp with them all the time. We're friends on Facebook, you know. It's the people. I will never forget them. And it'll be the same for you. If you meet the local communities, you will make best friends from all the way across the world. Next tip, be open-minded. If done right, you will be well out of your comfort zone on more than one occasion maybe way out of your comfort zone without being in danger, hopefully. I also have some stories about this. Oh, but those are for a different time. I'm out of my comfort zone literally every time I travel, sometimes on the very ledge. But the personal growth I experience is out of this world. Kind of piggying back on that last point, journal or some other system to write down your experience. Now, I will admit, this is something that I need to get better at, but I highly recommend doing this on your next trip. It's amazing how quickly you'll lose that raw emotion you experienced during an unbelievable encounter and have a really hard time recalling it. And lastly, if done right, you'll need a vacation from your vacation. So let's take this back big picture. How do I hope to leverage conservation travel for conserving nature? 
So one, again, I'm the director of conservation for the Wild Source, and I'm building an entire conservation program where what I hope to do is partner with biologists around the world and bring people to see them as part of their safari or wherever the destination is. This is just a win-win. The biologists get funding for whatever it is, the work they do, because we all know how hard funding is to come by. And then the tourists have an unbelievable experience that they would have nowhere else. Future episodes from the field. Yes, I know I've already done some of these, but that is one of the big goals. Now that COVID has really let up, people don't care anymore. We are everyone's pretty much back open. I can promise you that most testing is even dropped most places. I want to get out in the field, especially now that Heather's on the team. We hope to get some amazing episodes to share with you all very soon. And one of the biggest goals for this podcast is to actually make trips with the Rewildology community. Now, this is like big picture, big goal, long term, but I want you to come with me to the places that I go to. So I will keep you posted on if, when, how all of those things come to be. But yes, that is a big goal of mine is to have Rewildology trips. So I'm just going to drop that little nugget there. <laughs> wow, that was such a big deep dive into conservation travel. And if you would like to learn more about this amazing topic, I'm obviously very connected in the field and I've had many other experts on. So I recommend listening to any of these podcast episodes to learn more. So episode one with Bill Given, who is my mentor and the founder of The Wild Source. Episode three with Corinne Lacombe. Episode five with Cord Whalen. Episode 12 and 13 with Josie Cardoso. Episode 18 with Sheridan Salmono, which I mentioned earlier. Episode 27 with Jeff Trollup. Episode 39 with Michael Vogler. Episode 53 with Tom Oprey. Episode 67 with Colby Brockfist. And episode 75 with Allison Kusick. And... Just as a little drop or a little hint or a little sneak peek, our next episode is with a very special guest that is in the conservation tourism community. So stay tuned for that interview because I promise you that it's going to inspire you so much and might even put the travel bug in you if it's not already. And since so many of you are well-traveled, have you found any fantastic operators, projects, or destinations along your journey? If so, let us know. Let the whole Rewildology community know. You can comment in the Rewildologist community group on Facebook or on YouTube. So every episode is on YouTube and you can comment there. So put in the comment section a particular operator that you really love traveling with that we should all look into as well. Or just send me a DM or email at hello at rewildology.com. Just let me know because I'm I'm always looking for more partners in this field. And people are doing it right. We need to just blast their names out and get the word out so that we can support those doing it good. And if you'd like to support their show, there are several ways to do so. So some zero cost ways to support the show, including subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Rewildology newsletter at rewildology.com, subscribing to the Rewildology YouTube channel, which I just mentioned, and following the show on your favorite social media app. And if you would like to financially support the show, as of right now, we have no sponsors. This is all out of pocket still. We're working on it. But help us keep these stories on the airwaves. 
consider making a monetary donation at rewildology.com and it's through PayPal or purchase a piece of swag to show your Rewildology love. At least 10% of proceeds from this podcast, no matter what, will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to extend a special thanks to Heather Bailey, the show's audio and video producer, for making the show sound and look awesome, and Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the Focusrite gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out the Nature Podcasting article underneath the resources tab. All right, friends, thanks so much for listening to this deep dive in conservation tourism. Remember, together, we'll rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together, we will rewild the planet. <laughs>